If you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? If that time, if money, if uh, there was no obstacle to you getting where you wanted to go, where would you go if you could go anywhere in the world? There was a teacher named Miss Amos, and she posed this question to she posed this question to her her class, uh, grade school aged children. She said, "If you only had one hour to live." which is kind of a dark twist to put on it for little kids. She said, if you only had one hour left to live, you could go anywhere you wanted to go. Where would you go for that last hour? And in a split second, this boy, no hesitation, he shot his hand up. And she called on him. She said, okay, where would you go? You only have an hour left to live. And he said, Miss Amos, I would go to your class. And she was just, I mean, she was just Elated, she couldn't hold her grin back, and she said, "Well, tell me why? Why would you want to come to my class if you could go anywhere?" And he said, "Miss Amos, because your class is the on- longest hour of my life. <laughs> if you go anywhere, where would you go?" Uh, in Oxford, Mississippi, uh, in a previous home we had, we had some neighbors. Uh, and the husband, in preparation for Mother's Day, asked his wife, they had three young children under six, uh, maybe under five, and he said, hey, if I can send you anywhere, give you anything, what would you want? Where would you want to go? And she said, I would just, can you just give me a hotel room for a night? I just want to sleep. Uh, did somebody just give me an amen from over here? <laughs> wow. And so he did. He and, uh, he and his kids, they got her this a uh, very posh boutique hotel, gave her, gave her a room for one night away, and she went at like three o'clock in the afternoon and apparently just slept all afternoon, slept all night, and then got up and came home the next morning. And I was, I talked to Carly, and I was like, Carly, is that really something that you would want? And she was like, yes. <laughs> and I'm, for the life of me, I can't figure out how it could be so, uh, so enticing to want to pack up three kids and take them to a hotel room for one night. <laughs> You can go anywhere. Why would you want to take your kids to a hotel room so I can stay home and sleep by myself there? Uh, I just don't get it. If you could go anywhere, where would you go? In Psalm chapter 39, today we're looking at verses 7 through 12. The psalmist is asking, almost in a rhetorical fashion, if I could go anywhere, where would I go? And specifically, what he's targeting in at is he's saying, If I could go anywhere to escape the presence of God, where would I go to escape the presence of God? And you might ask, well, why would you want to escape the presence of God? Well, uh, the psalmist has just concluded in verses 1 through 6, he's talked about how God is, uh, he's all-knowing. He knows everything, and because God knows everything, we have a tendency as sinful humans, we have a tendency to want to flee from him. Like, rather than face God who knows everything. We just want to get away from him. We want to escape him. We want to pull back and pull away from God. And he asked, where can I go to get away from God? Now, before we jump into teaching the passage of scripture and then preaching the message of the scripture, uh, we need to spend some time teaching about these attributes of God. Because uh, in reality, Psalm chapter 139 is teaching us the incommunicable attributes of God. Now, we have communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. 
The communicable attributes of God are the characteristics of God's person or personality that we can receive and we can reflect, okay? So the communicable attributes are the attributes of God that God communicates to us and we can receive those and then we can reflect those. So for example, God's love, God is love, God is loving. We can receive God's love and then we can reflect God's love. We should love other people. Another attribute is God's goodness. God is good. He is intrinsically, naturally, he is good. We can receive God's goodness and then we can reflect it by living good lives and expressing goodness towards others. Another example of a communicable attribute of God is God's mercy. God is merciful, which means that he doesn't give us what we deserve. Uh, We can receive his mercy and then we can exercise mercy towards other people. These are examples of God's communicable attributes. Now, on the other hand, what the psalmist is teaching us and revealing to us in chapter 139 are God's incommunicable attributes. And and just as a way of teaching these, uh, I have provided for you a listing in the back of your bulletin, um, a sample of incommunicable attributes that have been compiled through a resource through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Now, depending on who you study, what Bible scholar you, you choose to study or to read, there may be a different listing of incommunicable attributes. Some folks categorize different elements of God's character in different ways, but I think that the InterVarsity Fellowship provides uh, a very good, very strong and faithful um, listing of God's incommunicable attributes. So again, we got to do some teaching, instructing of the mind before we can settle into the preaching, the inspiration of the heart. And so let me share with you, teach you through these incommunicable attributes. I'm going to list them for you. They'll be on the screen. They're also in the back of your bulletin. And I want to give you a brief statement of explanation. First, we have God his sovereignty. God is sovereign. Uh, That means that God is the supreme being, that everything that exists is under God's rule and authority. He is above all. God's omnipotence. That means that God is all-powerful. Not only is God all-powerful, he is the most powerful being in all of existence. As such, he's able to accomplish his will, though he's unwilling to do anything that would contradict his nature. So God is powerful enough to do anything, but he will not do anything that would contradict who he is. So the, the, um, the examples given, can God create a rock that's too heavy for him to pick up? God is capable of creating an object that's too heavy for him to pick up, but he will not do that because he would be doing something that would in fact contradict who he is as God, right? So he could, but he wouldn't. He's omniscient, which means that God's all-knowing. God knows everything of the past, everything of the present, and everything of the future. He knows everything that is actual. He knows everything that is possible. And he knows everything that is potential. He knows all things. We, uh, we also ascribe and believe that God is omnipresent. This is going to be a focal point of today's message. That means that God is present in all places at all times. Now note, God is not in all things, but he is in all places. So God is not in this podium, but God is with us in this pulpit. God is not in the elements of this building, but God is with us In this sanctuary, God is in all places at all times, and that's called God's omnipresence. 
God is transcendent. That means that God, he transcends all creation. And he is, because he transcends, he's above and beyond the range of creation. He is unknowable outside of what he reveals of himself. So we cannot know anything about God unless God reveals it to us. God is imminent. Now this is another particular point in our message today. God's imminence speaks of God's activity in this world and in our daily lives. Because God transcends, the only way we can know him is if he chooses to reveal himself to us. And his imminence speaks of the fact that he cares for us and he indeed chooses to let us know who he is, and then to invite us to invite him or welcome him in our lives through his guidance, his grace, and his love. And so God is above and beyond, but he's also present with his people. God's immutable. This speaks of God's completeness and his perfection. God is complete and he's perfect. He doesn't need to grow. He doesn't need to learn. He doesn't need to change because he's already completely God. God is infinite. God has no limit. He is unlimited. Our believing that God is infinite gives us faith that our lives have a larger purpose than the limited years on this earth. Finally, God is eternal. God is not confined to three-dimensional space or time. God never had a beginning. God never will have an end. And God is always, always. God is infinite. He is eternal. And this is who God is. These are God's incommunicable attributes. They are true about his person and his personality. And though we would like to have them, these are attributes and characteristics that we cannot receive or reflect because it's who God is. Now in the passage, we're jumping into the passage. In Psalm chapter 139, verses 7 through 12, the psalmist asks a question, and then we receive all the while a declaration. His question is, where will we go? If we want to escape God, if we want to pull back from God, just like Adam and Eve did, they tried to hide from God because of sin in their life, where would we even go? And then he lets us know throughout the passage, he lets us know what we're going to discover as a result of this question. So first, let's ask this, and I have three points under the first section. Where would we go, where will we go to escape God? This is both physical and figurative language. In other words, he's offering a physical within this creation. Where could I literally go to get away from God? And he's also implying some figurative, uh, what if this means not just the physical, but the spiritual dynamics? And so first, he provides for us in verse 8, the heights and the depths. In other words, where could I go in the highness of this creation or where could I go in the lowness of this creation to get, rid, get away from God? In verse eight of Psalm 139, the psalmist writes, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And so in other words, if I, if I rise to the highest points of creation, if I, if I uh, rise up to the highest elevation in all of creation, could I get away from God there? No. What if I rise up spiritually into the heavens? Could I get away from God there? Well, obviously not. What if I descend? What if I go down to the pits of Sheol or into the pits of hell? Could I get away from God there? The answer is no. 
Now, he's not implying or suggesting that God's in hell. The definition of what hell is, is the absence of God. That's what hell is. Hell is the complete absence of God. And so the psalmist isn't suggesting or trying to make any matter-of-fact statement that says that if we go to hell, we're going to find God there because that would then cancel out what hell is. What he's saying, though, is if I were to descend physically to the lowest place on earth, or if I were to go to hell as an effort to get, rid of, uh, get away from God, could I get away from him? And the answer is no. You were there. So he concludes, it doesn't matter how high or how low. Then he argues, maybe if I go far or if I go fast. The second point that that the psalmist brings up is, could I go furthest or fastest to get away from God? We look in verse, uh, we look at verse nine and the language of the psalmist is this. If I take the wings of the morning. Now, That's some antiquated phraseology that we may not be used to. This is a a statement that most of us don't practice anymore. As a matter of fact, I've never heard anybody say, well, I'm just going to jump up on the wings of the morning and get away from here. What is he arguing? What is he saying? What statement is he making? He's talking about the wings of the morning dawn. As the sun comes up over the horizon, the wings of the rays of light as they cut across creation, that's the image that he's giving here. He's talking about the speed of light. If I were to go as fast as light travels, would that be fast enough to get away from God? And then he goes and he says, okay, if I can't go fast enough, maybe I can go far enough. We read on in verse 9, if I take up the wings of the morning, or if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Now, some of your translations won't say uttermost parts. Some of the English translations say the remote parts or the remotest parts. In other words, if I go to the furthest part on creation, the furthest place, the furthest location on creation, to where if I go even one inch further, I'm going to start getting closer than I am further away. If I go to that farthest place, is that far enough to get away from the presence of God? That's the question he's asking. Can I go high? Can I go low? Can I go fast? Can I go far? Where can I go to get away from God? And he says, if I can get away from God, neither going high nor low nor far nor fast, maybe I'm just going to settle with going into my darkness. We look at verse 11, and the psalmist writes these words. He says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. In other words, I feel so impressed to get away from God. I'm just going to settle into my sin and I'm going to allow the darkness of my depravity just to cover me and I'm going to try to hide behind that. If I physically can't get away from the presence of God, if I figuratively can't get away from the presence of God, then perhaps I'm just going to try to spiritually get away from the presence of God. And this is what sin and the enemy ultimately try to lead us to do. We try to use our sin to hide from God. That's been the case since Genesis chapter 3 when men, when Adam and Eve fell. After they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they weren't supposed to and they broke the commandment of God and they sinned. And then they heard, the scripture tells us in uh, Genesis chapter 3, then they heard the presence of the Lord walking through the garden. And what did they do? They jumped behind a tree. The substance of their sin to hide from the presence of God. 
They tried to use the darkness of their depravity to hide from the presence of God. And ever since then, we've been trying to do the same thing. Sometimes it's more, uh, it's more of a conclusion that we reach rather than an exercise we've given to where we just say, I'm tired of trying. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of struggling. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of trying to overcome the guilt and the shame that's in my life. So I'm just going to surrender and secede to whatever this darkness is in my life. Whether I'm intentionally trying to run from God or I'm trying to run to God, I'm just tired of all of it. So I'm just going to hide behind my sin. I'm just going to give into the darkness I've come to the conclusion that I can't succeed on my own. I don't know how to break this sin habit. I don't know how to overcome my addiction. I don't know how to deal with the guilt and the shame that, that linger in my life because I have been defeated in sin and I've given myself to sin and I've chosen sin. So now I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to hide in it because at least there I know what I'm getting and I don't have to deal the anguish, the angst that comes with knowing there is a righteous, holy God who knows everything about me. Where can I go to get away from God? It's a question. And the answer is there is nowhere you can go to get away from God. You can't go high, you can't go low, you can't go far, you can't go fast, and you certainly can't hide behind the darkness because God not only is everywhere, but he sees and knows everything. C.S. Lewis, he wrote this. He said, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. He said, the world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. In other words, God is everywhere. We cannot get away from him. And what I want to bring to you in this second part of the message, I want to bring to you and bring you to the conclusion that number one, we cannot get away from God. And ultimately, when we discover who he is and what he's like, you're not going to want to get away from God. You're not going to want to get away from him. And so let's look here at God's word. And see what we discover as we understand more about the depth of who God is as the omnipresent God. Number one, we learn that God is graciously present. Grace, as a point of reference, grace is receiving what we don't deserve. We don't deserve God's present, but God graciously gives it to us. We receive what we don't deserve. In verse 7, it's the rhetorical question, but the rhetorical question has the answer in it, which implies the rhetorical question. The psalmist writes this. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? In other words, your spirit is everywhere. And then he writes this. He says, or where shall I flee from your presence? Now, this is where we have value in understanding the language of the Bible and doing some intentional studying. Where shall I go from your presence? Now, the word presence here, it talks about God's face. All right. Now, you got to lean in here because there's some good, good, good stuff in this passage. What's the alternative? God, uh, David says, where should I go from your presence or where should I go from your face? Now, he's just arrived at the, que- at the conclusion that God knows all things and God sees all things. That's the argument of verses 1 through 6. And his natural response, as is all of our natural responses in sin, is I want to get away from God. I don't want to have to deal with the reality. I don't want to have to deal with the hardness of this. So I want to get away from God. Where could I go to get away from him? And he automatically arrives at the conclusion 
There's nowhere I could go to get away from your face. Now, this is good news because there's two alternatives that he could have arrived at that I think sometimes we arrive at. Number one, he could have said, if I go to get away from you and then I arrive at the destination that I'm going to, I could discover that you're nowhere to be found, which quite honestly is what we deserve. We deserve God to abandon us because of our sin. We ran from him first. The just thing that he could do is just to let us waller in our mess and in our sin. But he doesn't say, I get to the place and there you're nowhere to be found. You know what? He doesn't even say, where can I go to get away from you? Because when I get there, you've got your back turned to me. And sometimes that is what we think God's going to do. What if we show up to where God is and he has his back turned to us to demonstrate his disapproval for the way that we live? That's what we think God's going to do to us. Sometimes that's what people do to us. Have you ever disappointed someone and you go to them courageously, faithfully go to them to make it right and they don't want to have anything to do with you? They basically have their back turned to you. They give you the cold shoulder. Like, what if we got to a place and that's what we discovered with God? But that's not what the scripture says. The psalmist asked this rhetorical question, where, do I, where could I go to get away from your presence? Which tells us that whenever you get to wherever you're trying to go to escape God, when you arrive to that place, to that destination, do you know what you discover? You discover God facing you, not turned away from you. Which tells me and tells you and tells us that when we encounter God, when we turn back to God, we don't turn back to a God who is absent because he is through with us. And we don't turn back to a God who has his back turned to us because he's displeased with us, but we turn to a God who's facing us because he wants to do business with us. And God is facing you no matter where you try to go. He's graciously present. But not only is he graciously present, but he's gracious in his provision. We read forward into verse 10. And the psalmist says, if I go high or if I go low, you're there. If I go far or fast, there you are. And when I get to those places, God, you're gracious to give me your hands and to provide for me. And how does God provide for me? The scripture tells us, even there, verse 10, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So he gives reference to two different hands, left and a right hand. He specifies the action and activity of the right hand, which leads us to uh, naturally conclude that the first hand he refers to is speaking of God's left hand. And so he says this, he says, with one hand, you guide me, and with the other hand, you hold me. And he gives us a picture. There's an image here. He gives us the image of someone, again, who has gone on the wings of the morning light to go as fast as you can to escape God, And who has gone to the most remote place, to a place that is confusing, to a place that is disorienting, to a place that is unfamiliar and unknown. And when you get there, there is a God who takes you with his right hand to hold you and uses his left hand to guide you. It's the image of someone who is caringly trying to guide you through life or through a situation or through a setting. And what they do is they take their right hand and they hold you close and then they use their left hand so that you know where we're going. Holding you close with the right hand, holding you secure, holding you tight. Hey, come here with me. Let me show you the way. And all the while, he's not just telling you we're going somewhere, but God is leading you to that place so that you can know every step of the way. That's what you discover 
when you get to these places you're trying to go to get away from God, you discover that he's graciously present and that he's graciously providing for you, but it's even better. He's graciously persistent. Remember, the psalmist has concluded, if I can't physically or figuratively get away from you, then God, I'm just going to hide in my sin because that's what I think I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to just sit down in my darkness and sit down in my depravity. And what do we discover about God even in those places? Verse 12 says, even the darkness is not dark to you. He penetrates and perceives everything even if it's dark. And the night is as bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. This is remarkable good news. This is gospel news. This is miraculous news. In other words, it doesn't matter how dark and deep your sins are, God can see and get through it. There is nothing in your life that you have done intentionally or unintentionally. There's nothing in your life that's been done to you, no matter how deep and dark that is, that could keep God from getting to you. He is capable and persistent to penetrate even the darkest of nights, even the darkest of sins, to get to you. And the reason that he can is because he's God. He is always present everywhere. And not only is he always present everywhere, but he's imminent, which means that he chooses to come to you because he cares about your daily life. It is so good for us to know how deep God is in his character, in his personality, in his attributes, because it refreshes us to know if we could get away from him, why would we want to? Because this is a God who is coming to save us. Where could I go to get away from God is the question the psalmist asked. And the question I would ask is if you could get away from God, why would you want to? Why would you want to get away from the God who is pursuing you headlong, who is willing to give up the blood of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, on the cross just so you could know him? Just so that you could be saved by him. Just so that you could be redeemed. Just so that you could be in relationship to him. Just so that you can know who he is and what he is and why he is. This is the God who has given his son Jesus Christ to save you. And the sin, the liar may say, get away from God. But God in his glory, God in his goodness, God in his person, he says, come to me. I'm going to make the way. I'm going to make the way. The teaching of God's word instructs us about who God is. And we've learned today that God is omnipresent. We've learned today that God is imminent. That he cares and he makes himself available to us. Even though he transcends all creation. And the preaching of the message today. Brings to our understanding that even if we were to try to escape him. God is graciously present He's graciously providing and he's graciously persistent so that you don't have to escape the one true living God that you need so desperately. And so with that, I believe the proper thing for us to do is to respond. To respond. For the man, for the woman, for the teenager, for the child that is present here today who is physically or figuratively or spiritually trying to run away from God, I want to ask you, why would you run from God when God is the one you need? And if you have been trying to run from Him, today, right here, right now, I want to invite you to stop running and to start turning towards Him. 
I want to invite you to not run any further, but to make the decision, to reach the conclusion, to say, God, you've convicted me. Today, there may be no one else, but I needed that message, and right now, I'm going to stop running, and I'm going to turn my life over to you. And during this invitation, if that's you, I want to invite you to make the decision to receive Jesus as your Savior and to surrender your life to Him, to repent, to turn away from running and to turn towards God by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to move into our invitation time and as I give some more instructions, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. I'm going to invite our ministers to step into their place because again, after a message like this, it's appropriate to respond. It's appropriate to respond. This is good news. This is true news that we should respond to. And so if you're here, you can go ahead and get ready. We're about to move into the response time. You, you can close your Bibles and prepare your hearts because we're about to do business and I'm inviting you to do business with the Lord. What's gonna take place is I'm gonna say a prayer for us in just a moment. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray for us that we could respond as the Lord has led us. At the close of that prayer, the invitation will open, which means that we're going to start singing. There's going to be ministers here at the front. We're going to have men here. We're going to have men here. We're going to be standing at the end of the aisles. We want to receive you because we get this. We get that it's really easy to run from God, but it can be remarkably challenging to turn to him. Matter of fact, all of creation in the sinful world is arguing for you never to turn back to God. So we want to be with you to help you turn back to him. We want to walk with you and pray with you and encourage you as you make the decision to turn to him. So if you need to make a decision for Jesus, whether it be a decision for the first time to receive Jesus as your savior, maybe you need to make a decision to join the church because you know you can't do this alone and you need someone, maybe an entire family to walk with you. So you want to join the church. We want you to come forward to join the church. Maybe you're just struggling with something and you just need somebody to pray over you. You know what I love about our church is that we have some of the most incredible prayer warriors in all of the kingdom right here among us. These people can pray heaven down. If you need someone to pray over you or pray with you, once you come forward during the invitation time and say, I'm just struggling, I, I need somebody to pray for me. Whatever the decision is, I want you to respond in obedience. We've done everything else to get you ready. The Lord has done everything that you need to turn to him. Will you now turn back and respond? Would you stand where you are? I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and then our invitation will be open. We want you to step out, come forward and respond in the front, in the back, or in the balcony. Father, we pray for the invitation. Lord, the men and the women, the teenager, the child that is present here that feels convicted that they need to respond. Maybe there's someone that's been running from you for years. Lord, they need to respond today. I pray, God, that you would fill them with the faith and the courage to obey. And Lord, that we would receive them and that we could celebrate together the things that you were doing. Lord, here's our prayer. Move us. Make the way as you have and you will. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The invitation's open. How do you need to respond? We're ready.